kind of wanted Atticus to name her, although, you know, she's been, what should I be called? And um, So, said today, who is that? And he said, Nana. So, she's Nana. So, we learned that today. Sweet. So, you know, as I listened to that, um, it made me think, what a wonderful blessing it is that God has called us friends. And um, everybody has some struggle they face. And uh, people have a lot of pain. Uh, But there is a real testimony when people walk with the Lord through that. It's just a powerful testimony when um, they're able not to be destroyed by self-pity. So many people can't seem to get beyond. And uh, I had, uh, I probably told this story, but a few years ago, um, my closest friend growing up, and we've stayed in contact through the years, but we had lost touch for I don't know, six, seven years. And I found out just a couple of years ago, he never got married. And I found out just a couple of years ago, he told me that he was engaged and right before they were married, she got brain cancer and died. And he didn't even tell me that for as close as we were for years because I'm sure the pain was just so deep. And people have these struggles that they face. And what a wonderful song, though, Scriven wrote, isn't it? What a friend we have in Jesus. You know, that he bears all our pain, our griefs. Uh, powerful. Tonight, as we continue on looking at the Hall of Faith, and we're in uh, Hebrews 11, we're going to look at 8 through 22 as we uh, are introduced to Abraham. And all these people... We're waiting and trusting and hoping, although they were not able to discern with their eyes and with their ears and all of their senses what they so longed for. There was a solid trust. And let's uh, go to our text, Hebrews 11, 8 through 22. And I ask if you'll stand in God's honor as I read aloud. By faith... Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. 
Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account that has been preserved for us in the Holy Scriptures. Hebrews 11, 8 to 22, Lord. Thank you for Abraham. Father, as we look at these four parts of his journey, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us and that we would learn from um, your word and from your servant and his faithfulness to you and that of his wife. Father, uh, speak to our hearts and remind us, Lord, you have not forsaken us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the great gospel hymns. You'll recognize it when I start quoting the first verse. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. This particular hymn really could be identified by Abraham and Sarah if you changed a word. If you said instead of standing on the promises, waiting on the promises. Listen to the second verse as we add waiting on the promises. Waiting on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God I shall prevail waiting on the promises of God. In the 11 verses that we read in this text, there are 100 years of history that are crammed in there in those 11 verses. <laughs> and we're just going to take a quick look in the four movements that occur within those 11 verses, 100 years worth. And looking at 8 through 10, again, we're told, By faith, Abraham, when he was called... would go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. He obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. <laughs> By faith he made his way home in the promised land like a stranger. In a foreign country he lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city of foundations whose architect and builder was God. Sometimes when we think about ancient cities and from what we often hear about the past and ancient civilizations, you almost get the idea that those who lived hundreds or thousands of years ago were very primitive, you know, with 
you had the guy with the big club and the you know fur across his body and dragging his woman that he loves. Boy, what a show of romance that sounds like. But the truth of the matter is, from excavations and from what we've learned about the place where Abraham grew up, a city known as Ur, it was not a primitive place. As a matter of fact, it was very sophisticated and very advanced. From what we've learned, they had cobblestone streets. They had academic buildings. They had houses, some that were three stories high, and they had tile flooring. Um, as a matter of fact, there was one clay tablet that revealed that they had been working on a mathematical equation of trigonometry that they were still trying to solve uh, 85 years ago at Oxford. So uh, they were not so backward. It was quite an advanced civilization that Abraham came out of. I say all this to, to say that this is not a guy that left one primitive place to go to another primitive place. He left a city that was quite affluent. And there are many who believe that his father, his family were prominent in the place of Ur. But God would speak to Abraham and he would give him this command. It's recorded in Acts 7 and, and of, in Genesis account. Leave your country, your family, your world and go to a land I will show you. And this land I will give you. Abraham's obedience did not produce his faith. His obedience proved his faith, which was that simple trust in God, that friendship that he would develop. Of course, as it says in the Scriptures, he was called God's friend. And think about it as he set off on this journey. It says he did not even know where he was going. What an amazing thought. In this day of time now, with the technology that we have, I've fallen in love with the GPS when we're on a trip and the things that you can learn. You know, it used to be before the GPS, I would always looking for a road sign. How far am I from this city or from this town or from a rest area? How much longer do I have? Now, I found out on these GPSs, they tell you not only the estimated time of arrival, but they will tell you if there's objects on the road, if there's traffic, wrecks up ahead, even cops trying to give you tickets. Uh, they're pretty amazing. But Abraham had none of this. He didn't even have like a clouds in the sky that said, you're 800 miles from the promised land. Just keep chucking, Abraham. There were no clues of, of how long it was going to be in this this journey. He just took off with trust. In verse 9, we read that in this journey, by faith, he lived in tents. He did not live in a, an expensive uh, home in which he probably grew up. It, it would be like um, you inheriting Scotland. And then you arrive all excited in Scotland thinking, I own Scotland, and find out that for all of your life you're stuck living in a little camper, not really able to go anywhere because you're stuck in that camper. The picture of, of Abraham growing up in a family where he actually more than likely had availability to a lot of material things, and, and now he sets off and he really doesn't own any property. As a matter of fact, as you look through the scriptures, you find out 
the only piece of property that he ended up owning at the end of his life was a gravesite. He had lots of cattle and he was set on a journey and God blessed him. But as far as the property goes, he didn't have it. And so he could be asked, what are you waiting for, Abraham? Why don't you go ahead and settle down with that promise? What are you waiting on? And he says, I'm waiting on the promises of God. Look at verse 10 as he talks about those promises. He says, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. He was looking for the, the new Jerusalem. He, he, he was looking for that city, not built by human hands, but built by the Creator Himself. The home that awaits all who belong to the living God. Oswald Chambers, uh, I used to love reading my utmost for his highest a couple years ago. I would read that in my devotions. If you haven't read that, it's a real blessing. I encourage you to read it. But Oswald Chambers served in the Middle East for just a couple of years. He had an emergency appendectomy, and he never recovered. His wife, who would take notes from his sermons in shorthand, took those shorthand notes, and that's where my utmost from his highest came from. As a writing shorthand, she put his sermons in those little bitty... Uh, devotionals that are so loved and read one of those devotions these words are recorded (laughs) he says the life of faith is not so much one of mounting up with wings as eagles as it is a life of walking and not fainting faith never knows where it is being led but it loves and knows the one who is leading So next, I want you to see this next movement is the cultivation of faith. The cultivation of faith. We read about Abraham. What about his wife? What about his precious bride? His partner for life. How did she feel about this? Was she frustrated by these change of events? Was she thinking... I've got to stand by his side. I've got to stand by his side. In other words, was she fuming about her husband's far-fetched plans? Doesn't know where he's going and I'm supposed to go with him. What is he thinking? (laughs) Was she kicking and fussing as she packed her bags, ready to head out, thinking we're leaving a beautiful home and we're going to be living in a tent and we don't even know how long this journey will take? Was this how she reacted of course in first peter chapter three it's a beautiful example of a woman with a submissive spirit and sarah is the example of that oh she was by her husband and they were together on this journey that god was taking them look at verse 11 and 12 as we read about it it says by faith abraham even though he was past age and sarah herself was barren was unable to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Abram's name meant exalted father or the father of many or probably a modern translation in our culture would be proud papa. He was proud papa. And yet, as we read uh, uh, about his struggle, uh, 
Donald Gray Barnhouse, a preacher from the past, wrote these words in his commentary about Abraham. He said, Abram was always having to explain he wasn't quite living up to his name. The questions would come from merchants and guests. Who are you? How old are you? How long have you lived here? What is your name, Abram? Oh, congratulations. You must be the proud father of many sons. How many sons do you have? Uh, None. Abram must have stilled himself for the half-concealed snort of sarcastic humor about the absurdity of his name. Barnhouse writes, I once knew a man whose last name was Wrench, who told me how irritating it was to hear the well-worn jokes and wisecracks from people who met him. He would cringe as someone would hear his name and begin one of the wisecracks he had heard before, like, Are you the left-handed Wrench? Or are you related to the monkey wrench? I also know a Mr. Meek who had been asked a thousand times if he had really inherited the earth. So imagine how difficult it must have been for Abram. This one, the father of many. But yet, at this point in his life, he's waiting. Waiting on the promises of God. (laughs) He, He does not, he and Sarah have not bore a child yet. And he's 86 years old at this point. And then 14 years later, his son Ishmael. And of course, that's a whole nother account. A son that would not come through the promise with his wife of Sarah, but through another. And when this child was 13 years old, 13 years old, and he had lived with this child whom he had begun to see as as his son of promises, he began to try to work through this. God comes to him and said, Abram, I'm going to change your name again. From Abram to Abraham. From the father of many to the father of multitudes. It would be so easy for Abraham to think, what in the world is going on? I've had to put up enough with a name that means father of many. And Wow, no kids. And now you want to say a father of multitude? Of more? How in the world can this happen, God? How can how can this be? Reminds me of the words of Hudson Taylor, the, the missionary to China, whom God worked in such a miraculous way. And, and in his book, he wrote, If we are obeying God, the responsibility rests with Him and not with us. You see, our job is to listen to God And to be willing to follow God. And to do what we can do in the power that we have. And then it's God's job. It's God's job to fulfill His promises. Alright, let's look at the next one. The anticipation of faith. The anticipation of faith is simply a restatement. Time to reinforce the promises Verse 13, he says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers in the earth. And then down at verse 16, it says, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. In verse 16, that word, they were longing for a better country, is a picture of a deep yearning. A deep longing. 
we think of God's people as they look for a promised land, a promised Messiah, a promised nation, a promised kingdom that would come. And it says that as Abraham and Sarah moved forward in obedience for these promises in verse 13, it talks about the fact that they were aliens and strangers on earth. They were foreigners the word could of strangers could be translated refugees. I know all the talk of refugees who have no home, who are looking for a new home, a place where they can belong. The picture here is that these people living by faith, which includes Abraham and Sarah, they were like refugees. They were like a people who had no true home as they were constantly on the move looking for the promised place to live. In the second century, Diognetus wrote this of Christians. He said, To them every foreign country is theirs, yet every country is foreign. Of course, can't help but think of that old song. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. <laughs> because this really is not our final resting place. We're just pilgrims. As he goes on in verses 20 through 22, we see that of others. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. He blessed his, his sons. As he thought about their life was ahead and his was coming to a conclusion. He thought about God and how he wanted God to be primary in their lives. Jacob, he's dying, it says in verse 21. And he blessed each of Joseph's sons. And then as he gave them blessings. I love this, as he worshipped. As he leaned on the top of his staff. As he was able to be with those young ones. <laughs> And pronounce a blessing. It was a time of worship. God, thank you for allowing me to see these little ones, these boys. And to provide a blessing to them, God. And then with Joseph, as the end was near, he said, I don't want my bones to be buried in a land that doesn't love you or care about you or look to you. I want you to move my bones to the place of a people who have been waiting. Waiting for you, God, to appear. Waiting for you, God, to bless to have that kind of spiritual eyesight and hope. What are you waiting for, Isaac? What are you waiting for, Jacob? What are you waiting for, Jesus? We're waiting for the promises of God. One last one here. The declaration of faith. Verses 17 through 19 as we read about that declaration. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back 
from death. This was a test where the command of God seemed to contradict the promise of God. God, my hope, your promise, all that I've waited for all these years is in this son. And you are commanding me to offer him as a sacrifice or, you know, in modern terms, we would think, is God an Indian giver? He gives, but does not allow us to keep. Reminds me of the story of the well-known fable of the pig and the hen who were grateful to the farmer for taking such good care of them. And so the hen talked to the pig and said, we need to come up with a plan to show our gratitude to the farmer who has been so kind to us. Said, why don't we present him with a good country breakfast? Bacon and eggs. Pig thought for a moment as he looked at the hen and he said, now wait a minute. For you, that might be a special offering, but for me, that's total commitment. The bacon part. And the truth of the matter is, for Abraham, this was total commitment. God, this is my whole hope. God, what are you asking of me? And yet in verse 19, basically we read, Abraham believed that if it was necessary that I'm to offer this Son, to God, he'll bring him back from the dead. I believe that's strongly in his promises. It's interesting, as I read about this account, there are many scholars who believe that Isaac wasn't a little boy, but more than likely between the ages of 30 and 35. Wouldn't it be interesting if he was 33? Also, scholars, as they speak about this hill where Abraham and Isaac participated in this test of faith, there are many who identify this hill, this may sound familiar to you, as a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Wouldn't it be amazing if Isaac was 33 years old and the place where He was placed on the altar and Abraham was ready to thrust the blade. Was the exact place where the cross of Jesus occurred. To believe that God would fulfill his promise. The first time he said, I will spare your son. But the second time he said, but I will not spare my son. Because that is the only way. To fulfill the greatest need is for my son to be the sacrifice. Abraham waited. God provided a lamb. God's people waited through history. God provided a lamb. But it was a lamb that was not an offering. It was total commitment. It was his son. Jesus, the gospel, that we also hold so dear. The ultimate demonstration of love that God offered so that we might have forgiveness and life, forever life. I love that where Jesus said in um, John 10.10, 10, 
I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, have it to the full, max life. That's what God provides. Um, let me close uh, with a, a story, and I thought it might be uh, endearing to use this as a closing song too. Um, many of you are probably familiar with Don Moan, who does praise songs and uh, has written a lot of wonderful praise music that the church has been blessed by. A few years ago, he received a phone call in the middle of the night. That was devastating. His wife's sister, her husband, and their four sons were in a terrible car wreck. Their eight-year-old son was instantly killed in that wreck. The rest of them slowly recovered. And Don couldn't figure out what to say. He was devastated. He knew that his family was devastated. His wife and obviously um, his uh, sister-in-law and her husband and the other boy. And of course, being a songwriter, out of that came a song. And you know, it's interesting. I have been singing this song around the house quite a bit lately, you know. But I didn't know the story behind it. So, through the inspiration of God, he wrote the song and put it to music to be able to offer encouragement to his family. The song goes like this. I'm sure it'll sound familiar to you. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my God. Hold me closely to his side with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, you are the God who makes a way. And of course, that ultimate way was Calvary, Lord. The sacrifice that paid it all. And Father, we have difficulties that we're struggling with. All of us do. But you will make a way, Lord. You will provide what is needed. And God, we just look to you for that way, Lord. Help us to follow you. Even though we don't know where we're going. You know. Father, true faith is not so much about where we're going. But understanding who's with us and who's leading us. And Father, that's you. I pray, Father, that you open our eyes. You, to the fact you're near. And Lord, you know where we are and what we're facing. And you will make a way. And as we sing, may we understand you are a God who loves us. And who we can place our lives completely in your hands. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and take your hymnal to 410, Standing on the Promises.